Welcome back. I'm Beth. I am Bailey. And we are going to switch things up a little bit this week. Normally Bailey goes first because she's usually got the terrible story and I <laughs> normally try to bring in something that's a little bit more uplifting at the end. But this week my story is not uplifting and so I'm going to go first and Bailey's going to try and redeem us at the end. Yeah, we'll so. see how this works. <laughs> I thought that I would like to do kind of a little sub-series within the show. Kind of find either architects who were victims of a crime or architects who committed a crime. Mm-hmm. I am calling that architect mayhem. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. When I meet new people and we're exchanging information such as, hey, what do you do? And I tell people what I do, I always get a response like, ooh, an architect. As if it's some sort of really hoity-toity kind of career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a doctor or a lawyer. I'm sure they get that stuff all the time more than I do. I think that people who do become licensed in architecture tend to be pretty sure of themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a very common stereotype that architects tend to be know-it-alls, arrogant, conceited, and the truth is this isn't really that far off. You have to be artistic, you got to understand physics, you have to be able to know enough about the engineering disciplines to know what's realistically possible to do, and you know, to conceptualize spatial requirements in a building you've done. And I just want to point out, just so I don't want it to seem like you're tooting your own horn or anything, I she's doing all horn. of this literally at the same time. Like, <laughs> keep that in mind. It's not just all in a matter of seconds. Like, your brain just does that. Like, But after a while, you don't even think that much about it. It's just person. your brain just figures it out. Mm-hmm. So you have to be a good organizer of information. You have to develop the confidence to be able to take criticism. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to take criticism, and you have to learn from it, and you have to still be confident enough after hearing all that criticism all of your life. I mean, I've been doing this a lot of years now, and I'm more confident now than I ever was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But that's because you learn from what you what people have told you they don't like or what isn't working for them. And you, you have to keep doing your job even after your ideas have been rejected. You have to go back. As they say, back to the drawing board. That's mm-hmm. exactly what you have to do. It's just go back and start and try to re- readdress the problem. So if you do meet an architect who isn't totally full of him or herself, <laughs> they're generally pretty well-rounded people who can be fun to be around and they have normally a pretty wide knowledge base. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody's going to be that way, but that's generally the case. The reason that I'm saying all of this is that, like you said, I'm not just trying to toot my own horn, but despite all of that, Good, bad, and ugly. Architects are just humans doing all the normal things that humans do. But sometimes humans do things that are terrible things. Mm -hmm. And some of them are selfish and some of them are cruel. The subject of my story was an architect. He is an architect named Graham Dwyer. He was born in Bondon, County Cork, Ireland in 1973. Ireland. I know. Okay. We don't want this Irish boy though. He's a bad one. He was very smart. He developed a great understanding of computers. He played bass in a band called The Strange Ways. He loved the outdoors. He was considered to be popular and very well-liked. Throughout his adult life, he was known as a friendly, likable, successful architect. He became a full member of the Royal Institute of Architects of Ireland in 2001 at the age of 28, which is which is a decent age for that. I yeah. know a lot of people who do not get their full licensure until their 30s. And I was one of them. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, he was in a relationship that produced a son with his then-girlfriend. Well, that relationship later ended. And in 2003, two years after he got his license, he got married 
to a different woman and he went on to have two children with his wife Gemma who also happened to be an Irish architect. Okay. So he worked in several different architecture firms starting in 1996. He continued studying during that time to complete a degree in urban design. Um, That's a nice thing to add to your portfolio and your resume if you're interested in doing municipal work and if you're interested in doing planning, city planning Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. The Great Recession that began in about 2008 caused Gemma to lose her job. And because architecture firms pretty much everywhere in the world were suffering and always suffer when the economy is bad, Graham was subjected to a series of heavy pay cuts. He didn't lose his job, but he he did have to take pay cuts, as did I back then. Right. (laughs) Putting strains on the finances, the marriage, and their life overall. But there was a thing that Gemma didn't even know about, and that was that Graham had been hiding from her a secret bondage and sadism fetish. Oh, lovely. And he had been online for a couple of years looking for women who were masochistic and wanted to be subjected to his control and infliction of pain. In 2007, before Gemma had even lost her job, Graham had met 36-year-old Elaine O'Hara, who was a childcare worker who was looking for such an arrangement. Elaine signed up for the bondage and punishment aspects of the relationship, but what she didn't know was that in addition to his BDSM fantasies, he had another secret fetish, fantasies in which he wanted to knife a woman. And that seems to be common with American Serial killers. They all just, I want to stab somebody. So knife a woman, is that just, I hate to say this to you, mother, is that just knife play? Or is that like literally he wants to just stab them? (laughs) Like, Well, he started with knife play. With just like, I just want to cut you a little bit, like. That's, well, I mean, nobody's just going to say, sure, go ahead and stab me the first time you meet them. They might. So let me get into it because I think that'll answer your question. Okay. (laughs) So Graham had contacted Elaine via the website. And in early 2008, they began a secret master subservient relationship. Mm-hmm. And this was a consensual arrangement that actively progressed from early 2008 until the end of 2009, when it seemed that it had run its course because they, they dropped out of contact at that point. Elaine had long been troubled by mental illness and clinical depression. And over the years, she had had suicidal thoughts And she was considered by those who knew her to be emotionally fragile. And to be fair, there are certainly some bondage relationships that can help people to overcome their fears and their insecurities and become stronger. Mm -hmm. But Graham wasn't the kind of guy who was interested in helping her grow stronger. He wanted to exploit her fragility for his own purposes. In seeking out Elaine, whom he knew had long struggled with depression, Graham was looking for someone who actively thought about dying so that he could manipulate her into allowing him to take her life. Oh, yikes. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Now we see the turn where it's not okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. When it's consensual and it's all good, no worries. By all means, yeah. But as soon as you're starting to manipulate somebody into doing something they don't want to do, that's not okay anymore. He convinced her to let him make videos. In which Graham acted as if he was knifing her for sex. Not for sex. (laughs) During sex. (laughs) Over time, he convinced her to let him actually cut her. Mm -hmm. Or superficially stab her. So, knife play. Gotcha. A little bit of (laughs) bloodletting. Good old fashioned. Yeah, but over time, as he was doing this, he was living out his fantasy. And Elaine, being insecure, looking for a completely subservient role, despite really not wanting anything to do with the knife play, went along with it by allowing him to cut her flesh with his knife in order to continue being with him. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't meeting Graham's needs, because specifically, he wanted to mortally stab her, not just act it out in a fantasy. 
Mm-hmm. The timeline for Elaine isn't crystal clear, but after she and Graham stopped seeing one another at the end of 2009, they seemed to have been out of touch until he contacted her again out of the blue in March of 2011. Okay. When he contacted her, she immediately told him. She's like, hi, Graham. I'm not into blood anymore. <laughs> All right. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. She didn't want to be cut. She didn't want to be stabbed. She's like, I'd like to be with you. I like the bondage part of our relationship, but I don't want any more of the cutting. He apparently told her whatever she wanted to hear in order to get back into her life again. Mm-hmm. So he bought an untraceable phone and started using only that method to contact her. Over a period of the next 16 months, they exchanged 2,500 text messages with him basically repeating over and over the same things. Graham wanted Elaine to find someone for him to stab, and if she wouldn't do this for him, he wanted to stab Elaine. He hounded this fragile, vulnerable woman incessantly for months, until one day during the summer of 2012, Elaine attempted to take her own life. Elaine was placed in a psychiatric care center to attempt to help her get better, and on August the 22nd, 2012, she was released from the care center. Unfortunately for her, for days prior to her release, Graham had sent her a series of text messages expressing anger. Not concern, not I hope you're doing better, anger. He told her that he was going to punish her for attempting to take her own life without letting him live out his fantasy. I'm sorry, did they in the hospital not, I thought there was like a thing where they confiscate your phone? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. You would think they would be screening it. Like (laughs) it seems valid, but Uh, again, he was going to punish her for trying to kill herself rather than to let him stab her. What a tool. Okay. Yeah. The last few text messages on her phone were her telling him she didn't want to do any more with him, and him promising that if he if she would meet him, he just wanted to tie her to a tree and pretend to kill her, but promised he wouldn't do it. He promised her this would just be for play. Doesn't this sound like fun? I wouldn't do it. And being vulnerable and subservient and frightened and mentally just devastated from what she's just been through, she did what she was told. And then you come out of that already just like feeling hopeless and then this guy's telling you this is what you're worth. Like, exactly, so shitty. Well, he's also lying to her. Well, he's lying to her, but like she wants to believe the best right now. And yeah. So on the very day that she left the psychiatric care, care facility, she left her phone at home, parked her car where he told her to walked across the railroad bridge, walked to the shore and met Graham and was never seen alive again. Mm. Her body was found 13 months later on Killikey mountain and her keys and other possessions had already been found a few days earlier in a reservoir in Roundwood. And all of this is in the area south of Dublin. Okay. Graham was arrested the next month in October of 2013. They found out about him because his name was in Elaine's diary. There was footage of him in video at Elaine's apartment. The text messages from the first two years when they were dating were still connected to his phone. And the burner phone's text messages, even though it wasn't attached to his name, they were detailed enough to make it evident that the person who'd sent them had a life which was fairly identical to Graham Dwyer. Yeah, not <laughs> the smartest. <laughs> Emma McShay, the mother of Graham's oldest son, whom he dated... Before getting married to Gemma. Exactly. Got it. She testified that Graham used to bring a knife into her the bedroom when she was with him and pretend to stab her during sex, but he had never actually stabbed her. So this has been going on for a really long time. Well, escalation, that always happens, you know? 
Right, and get, they get more and more impatient to do the thing that they really want to do. When pressed by his wife Gemma to explain the connection between Elaine and Graham, he made up the story that she had tried to kill herself many times, and he had actually saved her life once. Yeah, I see the look on your face. Mm-hmm. Asked how he could have carried on this internet dating on the same computer that he shared with his wife, Gemma said that his computer skills were fantastic and that Graham had partitioned password-protected logins for each of them, so she had no access to his doings on the home computer. So everything he was doing, he was just doing it right there, basically with her standing in the next room or across the room, and she Maybe had no I'm idea. too paranoid. I, I mean, I don't blame Gemma at all, obviously. If oh, she didn't know, not. she didn't know. But, like, but whenever you hear these stories of, like, oh, he had his, like, sex torture basement... And then the, just put a padlock on it, and the wife just didn't know what was down there. Like, how? How? Well, okay, let's also <laughs> think about this. Gemma was also an architect. Right, yeah. And you know, from living with me in your teens, mm-hmm. I used to work 60 to 70 hours a week. True. Every okay. week. And that's just normal for architects. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe that it's any different in Ireland than it is in the U.S. It's just a very mentally labor-intensive job. And you are expected. And at the end of the day, you're just like pooped. Like you're not thinking about what's he been doing on his computer all day. If you've got (laughs) anything in the refrigerator to eat, you're doing pretty good. Right. Okay, fair enough. Because you're exhausted. And they had two kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, I forgot about the two children. Well, (laughs) three technically, right? Yeah, but the third one didn't live with them. The first one didn't live with them. Gotcha. Gemma was also asked whether she recognized a spade that was found in the mountains near Elaine's remains. And it was Gemma's spade from her garden. Graham's DNA was also extracted from semen that was found on Elaine's mattress. The mattress also had been pierced several times with... The spade? A knife. A knife? (laughs) Where'd you... Why would he stab her with the spade when he wanted to... When his vet is... Fetish was knife play. Um, you just told me yesterday, anything, if you stab hard enough, can be a knife. That's true. All right. And it, it could be. So, anyway, there was a lot of evidence, and he was found guilty in 2015 and was sentenced to a life sentence. But you might ask, because mm. I know that in the U.S., if you're convicted of a crime, you're almost certain to be, I don't know what the term is, because I've never had it happen to me, but your registrations are considered null and void, and you're no longer going to be registered with your license in states, because they don't want criminals on the professional roles. Right. So people were asking the uh, registration board in Ireland, why is he still considered to be an architect? As of 2020, he was still listed on the official register of architects in Ireland. And people were asking why. His membership in the Royal Institute of Architects in Ireland had been revoked upon the guilty verdict, but his registration had not yet been withdrawn. And it's more or less assumed that they delayed the revocation because an appeal was pending. So he immediately, not immediately, but he filed an appeal and they're like, okay, we're not gonna do any any Permanent. further actions until until there's a resolution to the, the appeal. And that had last been updated in November of 2021, so just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. The appeal hinges on 
legalities in the blanket admittance of the cell records, which was really where they got the full story of exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to be leaning in the direction of tossing that evidence out. And it seems like that might actually affect the evidence collection laws in Ireland as like an, an end result might might turn out to be that way but hopefully the other evidence that was mentioned might still be enough to maintain the conviction and if not but if not it's possible the conviction might be vacated and he might or might not be retried there's no guarantee that they'll retry him did they say what about the cell record is it just because it wasn't listed under his name exactly like it it has I, i don't I don't know enough about the legalities of it, but mm-hmm. it, it said something about them being blanket cell records as opposed to specific cell records. So okay. uh, it sounds like they, they just went and they got a warrant. So <laughs> it had something to do with the warrant being too broad, Okay, I think, because they made it sound like if the warrant had been more specific and, or the time frames more specific... But because it was such a broad collection of data that they felt like that was like a, it was going against his privacy rights or something like that. I'm sorry. You don't get privacy rights anymore. Well, you do. I know. And it's an important, it's an important distinction. But if they throw them out and if they do throw them out, that's probably the right thing to do based Mm -hmm. on the legal, you know, arguments. I mean, I don't want my cell records collected not that I ever do anything interesting with my cell but but if I did I wouldn't want them to just have the right to come and just you know read every text message I've ever sent honestly I would Mm -hmm. be perfectly fine with that oh you saw that boob pic last week great what are you gonna do about it okay your mom doesn't want to know about your boob pics honey I'm sorry (laughs) if you saw my boob pics you'd be like good job I did good I need I, uh, I need a break. <laughs> so anyway, so but I mean it, it is important to maintain the integrity of people's privacy. I it's, mean I get it, and it always does bother me, especially when things like that come out in trial, and it's like this person is dead, and what they said in their spare time, it doesn't need to be aired out for everybody in the world to know. Yeah, like. Right. Their, their personal sex life, the fact that she liked BDSM, the fact that... Exactly. I don't think that's fair to be, like, broadcasting to the whole world about Yeah, her. just think of but, how mortified she would be to know mm-hmm. that the entire world knows about this. I mean, it's one thing if, like, a bunch of strangers know, but you have to think she has family that are, like, hearing about these in retrospect, and it's like... Yeah. That's not how you want to remember your family member. That's... Well, and like I, like I've said before, I don't care about kinks. I, I literally don't think it's a moral issue. Mm-hmm. If you and your partner want to do what you and your partner want to do, that has no effect on me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But if somebody is doing something that you don't want them to do, then you should have the right to, to deal with that. Right. But anyway, so let me wrap this up so you can get to your story. Okay. So we don't have any final answer on whether the conviction is going to hold. But in the case, the entire country of Ireland was riveted by this during the time of about 2012 to 2015. Graham Dwyer's name is very well known, as is his face. So we can only hope that if he does manage to secure his release, that women in Ireland will remember 
that the real Graham Dwyer isn't the likable, successful architect that he used to play for the public. And I want to leave with this. Okay. Y'all, ask questions. You know, don't be moony over thinking that somehow, just because someone is a doctor or a lawyer or an architect, that somehow they are flawless and they can do no wrong because that's ridiculous. Don't hesitate to tell them no if your spidey sense is saying no. Mm -hmm. Never do something to please a partner or potential partner that doesn't feel right to you. Again, I have no issues with people's kinks. I see nothing wrong with anything like that as long as it's fully consensual. So if you aren't sure that you want to give your consent and if someone is not letting it go, he or she's probably not looking out for your best interests. And if they aren't, you deserve better. Mm-hmm. You deserve better and Elaine deserves better. Yes, ma'am. I so, agree wholeheartedly. So that is how I will leave you with Arch- Architect Mayhem this week. I don't know how often I will do these because there are, there are several that mm-hmm. I have found that would make good stories, but I don't know that I want to lump them all in a row because eventually I'll run out. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I that first architect murder story I've ever heard. Other oh, than no, like... there are some other ones. Not it, not only the architect doing the crime, but there are some really... Architects that got murdered? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most famous one being... The murder of Frank Lloyd Wright's family. Oh, yeah, you told me about that one. Mama. Mama and her two kids, so Mm -hmm. that's a terrible story, but I'm not going to probably do that one for a long time because most people already know that story, and... I mean, I have an architect as a mom, and I didn't know that story. Well, it's not like you ever... Why would you know that? Because I used to play the Frank Lloyd Wright home design game every day after school. What? Yeah, they have a game online where you can... It gives you, like... (laughs) <laughs> it gives you the floor plan of a house, like you can choose one of his famous houses, and then it gives you like furniture options that you can spend your money on and like design, and it tells you like the dimensions of the furniture, and so you can see how they'll fit on the floor plan. Well, let me stop you right there, because Frank Lloyd Wright would never have let his client make any choice. <laughs> he was, he was pretty much a militant, and he was not going to let anybody tell him what was okay and what wasn't. He chose fair, everything. I'm pretty sure he was long gone by the time the computer game Frank Lloyd Wright came out. Yeah, he would have been he would have been disgusted and repulsed. Yeah. <laughs> well, on uh, today's episode of Other People I Disgust and Repulse, it's Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> well, not you. The game. He would have not He's like... repulsed. You let a 12-year-old design my studio. <laughs> today. Alright, well, I felt a little bit pressure this week because usually I have free reign to be as awful and horrible of a story as I want, but... I think mine was pretty bad. Yours was pretty bad. There really was no happy ending because we don't even know if he's staying in jail at this point. Yeah. So, mine at least I think is slightly happier, but there's still a lot of really sad shit going on. So, are we going to ruin our streak already? We've only, Look, we just got our wine shipment. We're fine. <laughs> we talked about that last week. People are going to think we're total winos if we keep talking about wine on every episode. Okay, we, we need a code word for wine. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anyway, uh, this week I brought to you, I'm just going to call it the 2018 Trader Joe's hostage situation in Los Angeles. 
Do you know anything about this? I do not. No, I had neither. I actually heard a podcast, which I'll give them a shout out at the end, where they covered this. And I heard it a couple months ago, so just wanted to go over it with you and All see right. what you thought about it. We'll give them a shout out now. So the podcast that I listened to was Murder With My Husband. Oh, you've told me about them before. Yes. Yeah, so it's... Okay. Yeah. That's where he's kind of an unwilling participant, right? Yeah. He, their whole motto <laughs> She's is... She's holding him hostage. Their whole motto is, she says, I love it. And he says, no, I hate it. And they're like, <laughs> That's see you great. next week. Yeah. I've got to get that onto my playlist. Yeah, I love I them. I haven't looked them up yet. All right, so carry on. But they covered this. And then they also have a really good uh, 48 Hours episode. Oh, okay. So that's the one I watched mostly to get most of my information. So it starts out with uh, a man named Gene Evan Atkins. Gene had been living in Los Angeles with his grandmother. Her name was Mary Elizabeth Madison. He'd been living with her since he was seven years old, so she... I think he had, like, parents who had, like, drug addictions and stuff like that. So she kind of took over the reins and took him in. Tell me again where this is. Los Angeles. Okay. I don't know exactly where in Los Angeles they lived, but during this... I wouldn't this, go anywhere. Yeah, well, they li- part of this is in Hollywood, part of this is in other parts around, so oh, it's just okay. Los Angeles, okay? All <laughs> like, oh, right. So, so he'd been living with his grandmother since the age of seven. He had a very long history of mental problems. Like, anger management issues. There had been times where he had slashed the tires on his grandma's car. Oh, God. Um, she'd come home, and he'd broken windows in the house with rocks. Like, he Treat just, granny that way. He, she was going through it, trying to raise him, for Sounds sure. Like but at the age of 28 years old, he was still living with his grandmother, which is fair enough in recent times. We all, everybody past the age of 20 is When living. did this happen? Uh, 2018. Okay, so that's pretty recent. Yeah, pretty recent. So he had actually at this time recently lost his job, and he had two cars which had been taken back by um, the loan shark. Uh, So so he's killing it everywhere. He's just having a great... If you think that's bad... Also, at this time, he had been arguing with his grandma, Mary, because he not only was living with her and mooching off of her, he also had a 17-year-old girlfriend, 28 years old, keep in mind, had a 17-year-old girlfriend who he had, without permission from his grandmother, moved into the house. <laughs> and she came home one day and said, uh, yeah, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> All right, so let's just talk about that for a second. <laughs> absolutely. Let's go. <laughs> so if you decide to have a teenage boyfriend, mm-hmm. you know, just suddenly decide to come home with one... Can he at least be like 19 and not old, not young enough to get you arrested? Look, I won't even date under 21. If you can't have a drink of wine at dinner, it's not going to work. True. <laughs> like, and um, well, please don't move them into the house without telling me. Yeah. So oh, all no, around good, good. problematic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that happened on July 21st, 2018. He was still arguing with his grandma Mary about the whole situation with his girlfriend moving in. And then he ended up getting in an argument with his girlfriend who, again, was 17 at the time, a minor. So her name is not listed anywhere. We don't know her name. But he got in a domestic dispute with her and ended up, his grandma got involved and he shot his grandma Mary seven times. Oh, holy crap. Yes. Oh. So in the Mary. in all of this, he just he, I don't know if he meant to, but at some point he accidentally or pur- purposefully shot his girlfriend as well, and he panicked. So he forced his girlfriend, who was shot. I think they said it was like her upper arm, so it could have been like a lot of blood being lost happening, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like she died immediately type of situation. Okay. So he forced his girlfriend into the back of his grandma's car. 
and he took off with her. And after that, a bunch of neighbors and his cousin who lived like across the street heard all this going down and like probably saw him with his bleeding girlfriend shoving her into a car. They like called 911 and within like five minutes, the LAPD was after him and like were on, they were tracking his phone and stuff. Wow. And they actually found his car by a tracking helicopter. So that's when they were in Hollywood, they tracked him down. The police chase lasted a total of 15 minutes. During this, Atkins shot three times at the police through the window of the car. And then in the frenzy of it all, he crashed his car into a power pole at 3.30 p.m. So the initial shooting happened at 1.30. The police chase ended at 3.30 when he crashed his car into the pole. Okay, and so the girlfriend- with Girlfriend the is still in the back seat. Gunshot wound mm-hmm. in her upper arm. Yeah, grandma's at home. We don't really know what's going on yet. Oh my. So after he hits the pole, you might think, oh, well, he's being chased by like a thousand police cars. They've got him with a helicopter. He's caught. Like, but no. He, during this, sees that he is now in front of a Trader Joe's. And so he decides to make he a break for I it. I could use some pastry puffs. <laughs> <laughs> I heard they have really good, uh, what are those things that went viral on TikTok? You wouldn't know. Anyway. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> they have really good Trader Joe uh, dumplings. So Okay. Anyway. So he sees that he is now in front of a Trader Joe's and ditches the car, shooting an additional three more times at the police that had gotten out of their cars to follow him. And the police fired back a total of eight shots in his direction, only one of which hit him. I think he's handling this the best possible way. You know, he's, yeah. just, he's not digging himself deeper and deeper and deeper. He clearly has a very clear mind. Absolutely. At this point. <laughs> yeah. His girlfriend's just going, well, very rational. I'm glad he's leaving. My hero. No. <sighs> anyway, so at this point is where the 48 Hours episode, I'm kind of going to reference a little bit. Well, a lot. Because <laughs> in that, they have interviews with four of the people who were there at the time. Three of them were already in the store at the time. And one of them, named Mary Linda Moss, was actually there with her teenage daughter. She was nine, she, I think she said that they were getting ready for her to start ninth grade, because it was like July, so. Okay. So her daughter was in the car because they had just gotten back from some practice and she had to change her shoes. So like 14. So like 14 years old. And so Mary Linda was like, I'm gonna run into Trader Joe's. If you wanna come catch up with me, go ahead, just change your shoes and meet up with me in the store. Okay. So she walks in the store and then this car crashes out of nowhere. And just out of nowhere, she's being just, bullets just everywhere. It has no freaking clue what's going on. Oh, jeez. So at this point, Mary Linda calls to her daughter in the car and tells her, get down. Like, this is like an active shooter. Yeah, Whatever is happening sure. is terrifying. Yeah. So she ran into the store along with all of the other people that had been in the parking lot at the time. Wow. So the daughter, the, the daughter's just sitting out there and she obviously knows this is going on. Well, she saw, I don't think she knew what was going on. Cause look, think about it. She's looking down, tying her shoes and now there's a car crash and then there's bullets. Like what the hell is going well, on? Well, no, I don't mean she knows what's going on, but she knows things that are That her mother on. is inside that store with whoever's yeah. dangerous. And so she's like, holy crap, I'm going to lay down on the bench here and just pray. <laughs> like not pray, but like, you know. <laughs> I will say nobody in this documentary got religious, and I really appreciated that, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so along with Mary Linda, who is now in the front of the store, there was Lynn Westifer, who was in the back of the store in the cheese aisle, which is exactly where I would be. Yeah. Um, There was also Arta Yonbalaj. Yon Balage, and she was also in the back near Lynn Westifer. So those two were in the back kind of together, but not together. And then there was a, th- a fourth person named Corey Page, and he was in the very back of the store, like toward where all the milk and stuff is, like 
the cooler area. And these are all customers? These are all just customers. Okay. They just happened to stop in there that day. Okay. So Mary Linda was the first to notice other than, like, everybody heard the initial what was going on outside. But Mary Linda was the first person to actually see the perpetrator run into the building. Okay. So she noticed that he was holding a gun with his right hand, but his left arm was, like, really badly wounded. Like, he was kind of nursing it and trying to, like, get feeling back into it and, like, just bleeding profusely. Oh, yeah. He's going, oh, poor me. I got hurt. Well, yes, he was. (laughs) Being a baby. Yes. Because he was the one that caused all this trouble. So, speaking of being a baby, he then, after um, everybody was kind of silent and just waiting to see what he was going to do, he pointed at Mary Linda and asked her to come over and massage his hand. <laughs> oh, for And Mary Linda, who has a teenage daughter outside that she just wants to get back to, you know? Yeah. She's like, she said, it made me incredibly uncomfortable, but... He has the gun, so that's what I did. I massaged his damn hand, you know? Yeah. So, he's. she noticed he was actually starting to go into shock because he was, like, shivering really badly and, like, looked a little bit pale and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, Mary Linda looked over and she noticed that there was, like, a rack of jackets and she asked him, would you like me to go get a jacket for you? Like, you seem cold. Like, she's trying to get on this good side, you know? And he said yes. She's trying to help him shoplift. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, she went to go grab him a jacket and at this point, she passed the manager's desk and spotted a young woman lying behind the manager's desk and she was laying there and she wasn't moving at all and she was just laying in a pool of blood and she was confused because at this point nobody fired anything in the store like oh, this no. all happened outside and so they realized this was the manager of the Trader Joe's named Melita Corrado they call, she went by Melly, so that's I know how to say Melly, but I don't know if it's Melita or M- Melita Corrado. So she's laying down, and Mary Linda, who's the person who's been helping out the gunman, trying to get him to calm down, mm-hmm. notices this girl laying down and immediately rushes back to the gunman and says, "Hey, she needs help. She's been hit." And he's responded, "That was the cops, not me." And Mary Linda said, "Yeah, I don't really care. Like don't we care. just need to get her help." That's like, right. So so it was just a stray bullet that came. Through. It was just she got caught in the crossfire. Somewhere oh, along the line, she got hit with the bullet, and oh. that was not good. So, so she <laughs> said, I don't care. She needs help. And he told her all that. Mary Linda asked if it was okay if she could take her outside to get help and then just come right back, and he agreed. So at this point, she did take out Melly to the front of the store, and they immediately rushed her out in an ambulance and got her back to help. So Okay, good. So at this point... Uh, the gunman's phone rang, and it happened to be police with their hostage... Negotiator? Yeah, the negotiator. Thank mm-hmm. you. So it was the negotiator on the gr- the uh, line, and he immediately told told Jean that his grandma and his girlfriend had survived the attack. They were both rushing to surgery, but they were probably going to be okay. He just needed to come out, you know? So was that true? Because the yes, grandma got it was shot true. seven times. She got shot seven times, did survive. Grandma's a badass like your grandma. Yes, she is. I know. I When I heard that, I was like, yeah, amazing. Seriously. Oh, my God. Okay. So, at this point, he demanded to speak to his girlfriend, and then he said, if you guys can accomplish that, I'll turn myself in. And they said, well, she's in surgery right now. That's not going to happen for a little while. And at this point, he hung up the phone. They're like, you know, she's unconscious because, because you, you fucking shot, shot her. her. Yes. <laughs> so, at this point, he screams out to the crowd of, people that were around him and said, how many people are in the store? Bring them here. And that's where Arta, who was a student at the time, she was like in her early 20s, and then Lynn, who were in the back of the store, they kind of were like, oh shit, because they had been hiding. 
And they, but he was telling everybody, bring anybody you can find to the front. I want everybody out here. The fourth person that was also in the store, Corey, happened to be in the very back of the store, like I said, with the coolers. And he found a little supply closet back there. And it was not big, maybe four feet long by like eight feet. Like it wasn't big, but they shoved 21 people into there. Holy crap. Yeah. Go Corey. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's a little hero guy. Well, they had like, he had pictures that he'd been sending to his friends and family during the time. And they were all literally like going like this on the floor. Just like. Oh my gosh. That, yeah. That's amazing that somebody had that kind of presence of mind to save 21 people that way. Good for him. Ugh. Well, it made me like, just looking at the pictures, super claustrophobic. But luckily back there, they also had like. It was where they would cut up the like samples and stuff so they had a bunch of knives and stuff oh, okay so a lot of the, like the bigger guys were like if he comes in here he's going down <laughs> like yeah. there's no way and they had samples so and they had free cheese and stuff so okay after all the people including arta and lynn were brought to the front he actually gene the gunman turned over to marylinda who'd been helping him the whole time not helping him as an accomplice helping him as in let's calm yeah. him down and get us out of here yeah Trying to keep him level-headed yes. on some, some degree. He actually turned to Mary Linda and said, You have nothing to do with this. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want anybody to get hurt. And to that, Mary Linda said, I know you have a good heart and you don't want to hurt anybody. And he said, "I You don't know what I did this morning. And then she said, It doesn't matter. I know you have a good heart and I know that, I, that you don't want to hurt anybody. And she said at that time, she literally saw herself in him because she kind of talked about it in the 48 hours episode okay but she had a history of like she had gotten really heavy into drugs and stuff like that and knew a lot of her friends were in prison for doing things like this from having mental breakdowns and things like that so she was like I could see it in his eyes he wasn't a bad person he was scared like he was just I got myself into this and I don't know what to do now like I so, would say that continuing to make it worse is not the thing that's going to be the best choice well that's kind of why this might have been the best thing to happen to him at this point is just stay hold up calm the down and run into this person who's going to be like I understand you a little bit maybe like okay think through your next yeah. step yeah because like at this point he knows he hasn't killed anybody he's good like his grandma's okay his girlfriend well not okay but they're not dead like, yeah i keep forgetting that the grandma's in surgery now because when you told me she got shot seven times oh yeah you would initially I'm think thinking dead immediately what, like what she's probably what 70 years old 65 70 mm-hmm you know, that's hard for a youthful person to... I mean, that's hard when you fall down and break a hip. Like, you know, I better yeah. get shot seven times. And Yeah. So anyway. But that does kind of recenter the whole like, hey, situation. Like, hey, you've messed up. For sure you've messed up. But There's you have still some hope here. Beyond hope. Yeah. <clears throat> so she kind of like calms him down a little bit. And at this point, she was kind of like talking to Jean and like calming him down still. And Jean looks over at a teenage boy. The other people telling the story that they were there said he looked like he was probably 13 years old. And he said, hey, I choose you. Come here. And they immediately were like, oh, God, he's going to start shooting people. Like, they were freaking out. Like, one of the, Lynn, one of the people in there was like, I wanted to jump on him and be like, don't take him. Like, Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's that would be your first thought. Because what else did he think he was going to accomplish by coming into this store? So... So well, was, and they don't even know, like, what he's done or anything. All they know is this guy's got a gun, and they heard gunshots happening outside. They don't know how many people he shot. And he doesn't seem to be here to rob the place. Right, exactly. So... Yeah, so... So he, like, gets the teenage boy to come up to him, and that's when Mary Linda was kind of like, no, no, it's okay, he's letting people go. So he chose the 13-year-old, and he walked out. Yay. One by one, he slowly started letting people go, but at this point, like, when he brought everybody up front, all the people that were hiding and stuff, 
he only had 13 hostages to begin with because all the other people that were in the store were in the back closet that he didn't know about. Right. He starts letting people go slowly, but at some point, there was a 30-year-old girl that he... That's a woman. A 30-year-old woman, but <laughs> they kept calling her a girl because Marylanda said that she could tell that she was just terrified. Like, she was, like, in shock. Like, she wasn't moving. She was just standing in the corner, and okay. she was, like, shaking so bad. So Marylanda looked at Jean and said, she's obviously terrified. Please let her go. Yeah. Well, when someone is on the verge of panic, that puts everybody at risk. Yeah, because it's like they, they might make one s- wrong move just out of sheer yeah, not something thinking that startles him, and that could put everybody at risk. So that was smart of her. Well, at this point, he says, "Okay, you're right. She seems scared. Let her go." So she goes ahead and. She's given permission and everything. She walks out with her hands up. She's standing on the sliding automated door mm-hmm. to open the up the door. Yeah, she's standing on the sensor. And it opens up. She starts walking out. And at this point, Gene absolutely panics and realizes he doesn't have that many hostages left. So he says, wait, no, stop, never mind. And so she stops midair, just hands in the air, saying, like, I don't know what to do. What do you want me to do? And then the doors just kept opening because she's still standing on the sensor. Mm-hmm. And he starts getting mad at her and saying, stop fucking opening the doors like stop stop and now he's getting like irate and everybody's like oh my, oh my god, god this is it like and so uh, apparently she looked at mary linda and was like i don't know what to do like do yeah. i step off do i run like, right yeah so so then so at that point she uh, mary linda just nodded at her and said go so well because at that point her coming back is not going to help the situation for her for them or for him and right standing there with the doors going open and closed is just giving him more anxiety well it ended up being the right move because she ran for help she was totally fine she made it well not totally fine mentally probably but no, and probably still not now but so she made it to safety at this point he was really pissed because he kept muttering about i told her to stop she didn't listen to me he was losing control all this stuff and then so he asked an employee who's nearby for the store keys and he locked the sensor on the door so nobody else could get out after this he started to calm down again thanks to the help of Mary Linda. And how many people does he still have? Like 10? It's hard to say. Maybe about six or seven. Oh, okay. So he's let more people he's go. He's let all of the like kids go. Okay. All the kids and I think their parents probably. In the panic 30-year-old. In the panic. <laughs> that he tried to snatch back. Yes. Um, so he's starting to calm down after he locked the doors. He's feeling a little bit better. Like Then he spotted across the street there was actually a store like literally maybe like 30 feet and over across the parking lot there's another store and mm-hmm. he saw a sniper standing up on top of that mm-hmm. and so he like gets on the phone with the police and he's telling him take him down i want the sniper gone like i need him down- gone and all the like hostages are screaming please take the sniper away we're okay take the sniper down like you're just making him pissed off so the police keep going on the radio, the walkie-talkie, saying, hey, sniper, get down, get down, get down. And they did this for, like, ten minutes, and apparently they forgot to charge their walkie-talkie or something oh that day. God. And they couldn't get a hold of him. Oh, so at this point, he's, the, all the all the people in the documentary were just like, we were, like, mind-blown. Like, who forgot to charge their goddamn walkie-talkie this day? Like... <laughs> So at this point, Gene is getting panicked again, and he says, get him off the roof, or I'm going to shoot someone in five, four, three, two. And on two, another officer had just climbed up the ladder in time to tap the sniper on the shoulder and say, get the fuck down. Holy shit. At two. Oh my god. So they got the sniper down, and he begins again to calm down. (laughs) 
oh, this is nerve-wracking. <laughs> and at this point, they're more scared because the police seem to be morons than they are of the sky. <laughs> well, it's I don't know if it's morons to not, just, to not have your equipment ready, but somebody screwed up big time there. Well, then... <laughs> oh, there's more. So then, a giant van pulls up with the words SWAT right in front of the entrance, and he begins to get nervous again. So he tells them, move the SWAT van. I don't want them there when I come out. And so they, the hostages communicate that on the phone. They're on the phone with the police and say he wants the SWAT van to move. He doesn't want to be attacked as he comes out. Like, he'll come out willingly. Just move the van. Like, they're like, we're working with you guys. Just work with us, please. Like, he sees the SWAT van and they move it. They agree and say, we'll move it. We'll move it. So they move it literally back about five feet. Mm -hmm. And that's it. <laughs> so then, Mary Linda... That was a little bit passive-aggressive. <laughs> absolutely. Like, this whole time, it's like... I feel like they would have been better off if the police just didn't even respond to this. Well, sounds like Mary... Mary Linda needs to join Mary the police Linda, force. It, she should have been the hostage negotiator. So... She needs a new career. So he ends up finally telling the police, Look, if you just sit in handcuffs, I will handcuff myself and sur surrender my gun. Like, and I will walk out. It's, it's done. Like, I know my girlfriend's okay. I know my grandma's okay. Whatever. I think you can stop calling her your girlfriend now, because I don't think she wants to be with you anymore. <laughs> I kind of heard weird, I'll tell you after. All right, but... all right. I don't mean to jump in. <laughs> so at this point, one of the other hostages, Mike D'Angelo, decides to volunteer to go out front and grab the handcuffs from police and then bring them back to him. So that they can just get out of here. Get this all over with. Yeah. So as he stands, he, they unlock the door. He goes out the front. And he's standing there saying, throw me the handcuffs. Throw me the handcuffs. And they start, the SWAT team, like all of the, everybody including the shooter inside can see the SWAT team sitting there motioning for Mike to run. Run. Run out. And Mike's like, I'm not leaving them. Throw me the goddamn handcuffs. We already have a solution. Yeah. Just throw me the handcuffs. And so they Man, argue they are with him. they putting a chink in this every, I know. Place, every place they can. So they continued to ar argue with him for oh several God. minutes until they eventually threw the handcuffs and everybody inside kind of like had a sigh of relief. Oh like, my God. Thank God. So he was still waiting for a call from his girlfriend who's still in surgery at this point. But Jean tells Mary Linda that it's over um, for him and... She basically assured him, I know so many people in prison who still made lives for themselves, who you can still have hope. Like, you haven't killed anybody today. Like, you're, That's right. you're doing okay. And so, um... I mean, you still did something bad. Right, you fucked up. Don't get me wrong. You deserve to go to prison. But, but there's a point now where you can you're salvage. Saleable. Yes. Yeah. And so, he even said to her, I wish I'd met you earlier, because I just needed someone to talk to who actually got it, because... Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't we all just need that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean... I mean, I've never been up to this point, but... Well, let's hope it doesn't get there. <sighs> so, finally, Gene got what he wanted, a voice memo from his girlfriend saying, I'm okay, just go outside. Like, and Put the this. gun down. Put the damn gun down. So, actually, that's funny, the next line was, so he handed over his gun to Mary Linda and agreed to have her, like, handcuff him. So, he started to let more hostages go because he wanted, like, Marylinda basically said, I'll stay with you. I'll be the last one to go out with you. I don't want you to, like... Go out by yourself and be... She's looking at him, like... Well, because she's got a, a daughter that's... Not like much. 10, 10, 15 years younger than him. So she's looking at him in a motherly way. It's like, at first he was a terrifying figure, but now he's just a scared-looking kid, you know? 
Well, I think at this point it was pretty obvious to her. Like, I'll, it might be kind of Stockholmy, you know what I mean? Like Stockholm syndrome, where know. she's kind of relating to him on a different note. But I don't think it's Stockholm syndrome. I think it was just her compassion. Oh, for that sure. was like yeah. I can understand why you're so terrified. I see how messed up you are, and I think we can save you if we can just you know keep our shit together. Right, and I agree with her at this point. Like he doesn't deserve to just get shot upon leaving at this point. Like no. he deserves right. to go to court, obviously. Right, absolutely. Whatever's coming, but but yeah. So she was kind of like, I'll stay with you. Just let everybody else go. So he starts letting people go one at a time. But uh, he let this, I guess it was kind of like an upper teen, like maybe 19 years old, this 19-year-old daughter and her mother. And he said to them, you guys can go ahead. And Arta, who I told you was in her early 20s, she was all alone at Trader Joe's that day. She saw these two and something in her head was like, pretend that's your mom too. Like, just go with them. (laughs) So she started to and... Wait a minute, Is is he handcuffed now? He's he's handcuffed, um, so he's, like, letting people go, and he's still kind of telling people one at a time to go just to keep it, like, safe. Because he doesn't want 12 people at once coming out the front. Okay, but he's handcuffed, and he's... I think, I don't know if he was exactly, I don't know at one point he was handcuffed. It might have not been until the very end. But at this point, Mary Linda does have the gun. Okay. So he's still kind of in control, but I why think a lot of he, these people... Why is he in control? Why is anyone still listening to him? Because I think a lot of them at this point were kind of seeing Mary Linda's point. There was only one person, the whole, that were, of the people that were hostages coming back as witnesses on the 48 Hours episode, saying, like, I hated him, I was scared of him, I didn't, I wasn't thanking him as I left because I was just gonna say, can you not thank you? Like... Well, yeah. So... And a lot of them were like... You shouldn't say thank you to some guy just because he didn't murder you today. But a lot of them were. Like, that. that's why she said, I wasn't going to say thank you. I just avoided eye contact and left because I wasn't going to say thank you the way everybody else said thank you. Which I understand both perspectives. Like, Well, I, I can see when you're in danger if you're just saying what he wants to hear. Yeah, if you're terrified. But if they're genuinely thanking him, that's just messed up. Because he still caused the situation. He may have his inner demons that caused Mm -hmm. him to make the situation happen, but Mm -hmm. he still caused it. Oh, for sure. He's not a victim here, so he may... Yeah, he kind of made himself the victim here. (laughs) He did. He did. So anyway, so so, uh, what was her name? Uh, Alita? Oh, um, sorry. No, that was uh, Arta. Arta. So Arta sees this mother and daughter walking out that he's let let go, and she just walks up and grabs the mom's hand and just kind of hopes... Hopes she goes with it. And so Jean looks at the mom and says, is this your daughter? And the woman said, yes, this is my daughter. Everyone here's my daughter. Everybody, yeah. come. I've only got two hands. So you can hold onto my coat. I mean, who's going to be like, <laughs> I don't know this bitch. Like, <laughs> you can hold my purse. You can hold my elbow. You can. <laughs> so he tells um, Arta, you can go with your sister and your mom. And he lets them all go. So after this, Lynn is close behind her. She leaves. And now there are only four hostages left, not including the 21 who have no freaking clue in the back what's going on at this point. They're like, we're not leaving until somebody comes again. That's right. Someone with a badge. (laughs) Yes. Now they have four hostages left, and Gene expressed his fear to leave because they were going to shoot him. He just knew it. The second he walked out there, their SWAT was here. You know, like, they're not going to be easy on him. So Mary Linda turns to the other three hostages, and and she asks them, we'll all go out together. Does everyone agree, or does anybody just want to go out first? Because we can all three go out together with him, or you guys can go. You don't have to. Yeah. And everybody, all the... 
four of final people, they all agreed that they would go out with them. Aw, so they were making a little protective circle around him? Yes. So Mary Linda was the first one out with him behind her and the rest of them together. Yes. Yeah, so I don't start... know. I think that's just so sweet. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> that this yeah, was be... willing to kill you at some point. I don't know if he want... He wasn't really... I think it could have come to that. I think if you're willing He's... to shoot your grandmother who took you in at seven, seven times then you're willing to shoot anybody who's preventing you from getting out. Well, I can't argue with your logic, but Mm -hmm. I think that there are familial situations where you can become so enraged that you would say or do things with your family that you would never say or do with someone else. That's true. When you add, like, the emotional aspect, it becomes more, like, more to lose. Yeah. Yeah, so... not that I'm defending him shooting Just, his grandmother by any stretch of the imagination, but... Yeah. But at this point, he... To be fair, he had... They didn't know any of that. <laughs> so they kind of That's all... That's right. They banded together, and they all safely escorted him out of the building, where the SWAT team, they kind of separated him from the rest of them and got him arrested without any kind of, like, altercation. Like, there was no fight. Mm-hmm. He just got put in the van and taken away. About 15 minutes later... Per Corey, who had been in the back closet the whole time, shoved in the closet <laughs> with 20 other hostages, was alerted by SWAT that it was all good. He could come out. How and was he alerted? Had he been calling them on his cell phone or something? No, they came to the closet and they were kind of checking all oh, crevices okay. of the place. Because he had been, the okay. Gene had been arrested, so they kind of were going around doing a sweep okay. just like, uh, you guys, probably just expecting like one or two people to open a closet to see 21 sets of eyes. Oh, hey. Um, so they were all let go. I mean, it's not funny, because I know that would be absolutely horrifying it to be stuck be. in there and just knowing you're sitting ducks. Like, yeah, ugh, I can't imagine. At the end of the day, Atkins was taken to jail, which is Gene, Gene Atkins, was taken to jail. His girlfriend and grandmother were both okay. They both survived. However, Melly Corrado, who was 27 years old, the manager at Trader Joe's, had been the only fatality. Aww. She was, um, and she was shot by the crossfire. Wasn't even part it, of the hostage situation, right? So she got shot when she heard the initial crash when he crashed into the pole, and she yeah. actually ran outside to help whoever crashed. Oh, jeez. Yep. So she ran outside to help, and then there was shooting, and she just happened to get hit by somebody. And actually, when they reviewed all the police footage and like got all the information about how many bullets had been discharged, it was found to be the cops that had shot her. But afterwards, That's they actually bad. had a... This happened in 2018, and it's still ongoing Like as far as con- he's been convicted and stuff, but they don't know how long he's going to be in jail or exactly what his punishments are. They had to do the whole trial first of the police officers to make sure they handled it correctly and they both police officers who had discharged bullets, they were found to be acting in protocol, which Okay. I mean, how can you blame him in a situation like that? It's not like he wasn't firing at them back, you know? Right. So they don't know exactly who shot him, one of two police officers, but either way, they are still working. They're okay. Mm-hmm. And he, the trial, it was set to begin back in May of 2021, but it's still kind of ongoing. You know how these trials, especially when it's kind of tricky like this, can yeah. last 10, 11 months. Right. And there are like probably that. a lot of witnesses, too. <laughs> a lot of people to take stand. For, for sure. sure. Yeah. Like, he actually initially pled insanity, 
but they found that he was sane at the time and able well, to stand trial. Well, I think trial. the fear that he was feeling and the the regret that he was feeling, mm-hmm. I think that that's because he was sane. Oh, absolutely. You're thinking in a, oh shit, I just did something really bad I mean, mindset. you can do really awful things and still be sane, but the fear and regret you feel afterwards is what looked like, oh. What have I done? Right, if he what had done, done that and then just gone shopping at Trader Joe's as if nothing had happened, that might be insanity plea because that's not an okay person. Yeah. But no, he... So what was the overall length of this standoff then? So he shot his grandmother originally at 1.30 p.m. that afternoon, and then the police chase happened, he got into the accident, into Trader Joe's. All of this eventually ended by 6.30 that night. Holy crap. Because remember... So the he, daughter is still sitting out in the car all this time. I think they probably evacuated the daughter. Well, that's true. They evacuated anybody in the parking lot once he was inside, you know. Yeah. But uh, the whole time she's probably outside calling her dad like, so we have a situation. Dad, um, something bad happened. <laughs> had no idea her mom was in there being a badass, like saving the day for everybody. <laughs> yeah. That, wow, good for her. That's that's a good story. Well, at the end, Mary Linda got out, and she was like, I oh, hugged Nelly. my daughter and my husband, and he said, I'm so damn proud of you, but I'm so damn mad at you. <laughs> like, well, why would he be mad? Because if it wasn't for her... Well, she was the to... only one who stepped up, and he found out about it and was like... But if she hadn't, everybody in there might have ended up dead. You just don't know. Everybody that, was, she, that, he, that he knew about, anyway. She did. She got the most vulnerable people out first, saying, like, okay, everybody else is handling their shit okay, so. You know what? What Mary Alice's... Mary Linda? Mary Linda. I wanted to call her Mary Alice every time I've mentioned mm-hmm. her. Do you know what her real-life job was? I don't remember. I would like to... I'd be curious about that, because I'll bet it was something that... I hope it's something that involves crisis management. I want to say it was, like, a youth counselor type of thing. She seemed like she'd be really good at that. That you know? does sound like something she'd be great at. But I, sure. I don't remember, so I don't want to put anything out there that's not true, but it just seemed like she, <laughs> just watching her interviews and stuff, she seemed like she would be so amazing at that. Yeah. Because it's like, Mary Alice, twenty twenty. Mary Linda! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. What is wrong with me? <laughs> so anyway, that was a good story. And I feel really bad for Melly. She was just trying to help somebody out and she got hurt and, yeah. and died. And yeah, it's just at least nobody did it with malice. You know what I mean? Like, not that that makes her dying any better. It's just, I don't Yeah. Know. Well, you can't even call it really an accident because the, the police didn't mean to shoot her, but the whole thing wasn't an accident. It's like drinking and driving, you know. If you yeah, like, run over somebody, you still chose to drive, you know. And so. that's what he's being charged with, not only, like, kidnapping, but also, like, for causing the commotion that caused someone to die. That's it was right. an accidental death, but it was yeah. because of something you did. Yeah. Like, Right. So, so do you have a um a fun thing for us today? Because I forgot to look one up. <laughs> I did. I kind of no, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our fun thing today is gonna be today in Florida man history. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So today is as we're filming. It is January thirtieth, two thousand twenty-two, and so I went ahead and put January thirtieth, Florida man. And see the first results. Oh God! All right. This is really fucking terrible. I don't. This isn't funny. All right. Well, what is it then? It's. I'm only laughing because usually they're hilarious, and this just makes me want to cry. What's the headline? Florida man accused of hanging dog from tree and then punching young child who refused to help hide the body. Well, it sounds like a Florida man, but that's terrible. That is so bad. I hate anything.
we need I know. a different one. Ugh. Okay, how about we do my birthday? Because I'll, I'll give that <laughs> some comic relief. <laughs> okay, that's a little better. So mine is June 3rd, so I searched Florida Man June 3rd. And what comes up is man arrested for throwing cheeseburger at pregnant woman. <laughs> Which in hindsight, she might have really appreciated. Because... <laughs> So, where did you find your article, your headline? <laughs> Timemagazine.com. Well, that seems like a good one. Yeah. It's probably true then. Probably really happened. <laughs> Alright, so I'm worn out and this is getting long. Are we done? Yes. I think we're done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, am, I like how we did this to so like, let's make the mood higher. Let's talk about animal torture. That was terrible. Oh. Well, sorry for everything, y'all. See you next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.